Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, England almost comfortingly unconvincing in their World Cup opener against Scotland, but there were positives to take away, like Nikita Paris, three points, and loads of room for the spectators to spread out in. Elsewhere, impressive starts to the tournament from Brazil and France. Australia shocked by Italy, but some concerns about the general levels of organisation and promotion by FIFA. There is, nevertheless, as they say in France, une distance grande to go. Plus, men! Familiar failings for the English men against Holland. Penalty heroics from Jordan Pickford and the Nations League fizzles out with a win for Portugal that you've probably already forgotten about. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Offside Rule podcast hero. It's Kate Borsay. How are you, Kate? I'm loving that hero tag. Thank you. Well, you've earned it. Well, I've watched every single minute of the Women's World Cup so really? far. Yeah, everything. Do you think you can keep it up? <laughs> well, I'm going to have to. <laughs> there is no choice about it. Uh, we're doing daily podcasts, so that means I literally have to position myself in front of a screen for nearly 12 hours a day whilst I work, work through everything. What a treat, though. Yeah, and do you know what's amazing when you get to do that, when you get to completely immerse yourself in a tournament, is brilliant as a journalist and as an analyst. Um, When you throw me questions like you have done on today's podcast outside the Women's World Cup, it sends me into a bit of a spin, but it's been nice to break away. (laughs) Good, good. We'll try and have a little mini break at some point during this podcast. Alongside Kate, it's our very own audio football club legend, JJ Bull. What's happening, JJ? Well, I'm now a legend. I've been upgraded. Yeah. So that's good. Good. Everything else is fine. Just fine. Uh, Yes. Good. All right, we'll take that. Joining us on a loan deal from the Standard Issue podcast, it's Jen Offord. Welcome, Jen. Hi. How are you feeling? I'm feeling, uh, yeah, very good. Good. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Shall we discuss England versus Scotland in the Women's World Cup? A 2-1 victory for England. There was a lot of debate before the game, Kate, about the team Phil Neville would pick based on England's performance. Did he get it right? I think so, yeah. I mean... when I saw his team, I thought of sort of saw it and went, oh, yeah, <laughs> because it actually 
was pretty much who I'd pick. There were um, a few injury concerns to the likes of Tony Duggan and that actually sorted out who he um, who he picked. We were all talking about the back four beforehand and who was going to partner Steph Horton, the captain. Millie Bright was there. That was no surprise. And he opted for Lucy Bronze on the right and Alex Greenwood on the left. Um, and interesting as well, because he went for Beth Mead and Kira Walsh, who both made their first appearance at a World Cup. So nice to see that youth in there. Nikita Paris played on the wing. You've got um, Ellen White up front. And when you saw them play together, you understood why he did that. Jill Scott and Kira Walsh were, um, I think, in danger of being isolated in front of the back four. But actually, it worked really well having that formation, having that 4-2-3-1 formation. So yes, I think it made sense. And um, certainly for the first half, England looked very good. Yeah, definitely an encouraging performance in the first half. Phil Neville seemed quite peeved Afterwards, though, he was saying um, the expectations weren't met by his team in their second half performance. Do you think he had a point, Jen? Did did the levels visibly drop in the second half for England? Yeah, I think they kind of they. It just seemed a bit sort of classic England, really, didn't it? Sort of, you know, have take a bit of a lead and then just sort of slack off a bit. Um, So yeah, I think you know maybe he had a bit of a point, but I quite you know I quite liked. I thought it was refreshing the way he sort of spoke about it afterwards, you know, and he sort of took some of that responsibility himself, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, you don't see a huge amount of that from uh, from football managers. So, yeah. There's been a little bit of chat from some of the England players of the past that the previous people in Phil Neville's role, um, Hope Powell and Mark Sampson, weren't always enormously clear about what the levels that were expected were. Do you think the players are enjoying playing for him, Kate, based on what you've seen? I really think so, because there's an enormous respect from the players for Phil Neville. And I sat down with Phil and had a really long interview with him a couple of weeks ago, and he said, look, one of the takeaways from working with Sir Alex Ferguson for such a long time was the will to win, was setting a target and the will to win, and not accepting anything else apart from getting there. Phil met with the squad months ago and said, right, where's our target? And the squad said, we want to win a World Cup. And so Phil has taken that and said, OK, well, if you want to win a World Cup, this is what we're going to do. So in terms of him looking peeved afterwards, was that England signed a World Cup winning side? Not yet. So the girls have said where they want to go. Phil's going to take them there. But of course, if they're not going to produce the performance that he wants, that he knows they need to get to the top of the world, of course, he's going to have a go afterwards. And he will be relentless. He will not let them go until they start to produce that magic. Yeah, it seemed quite convincing, I thought, on Sunday from Neville, it seems like the sort of thing I would buy into. What about you, JJ? What did you make of the game? Which players stood out for you? Uh, well, I thought England started well and they had control of the first half, but mostly because they were dominating Scotland through shape rather than anything particularly special. I think uh, so. What they were doing was um, I know it's like a four-two-three-one at times, but mostly it was like a four-one-four-one, and you had bronze was always overlapping Paris. Which, uh, because Scotland were in a four-two-three-one, a sort of a three midfield, the midfield was completely isolated, and yeah. they were effectively playing with defence and attack. And Cuthbert's on her own, so you're making Kim Little basically useless. She can't do anything in the, in the game. Uh, Nicola Doherty had a terrible game, totally overrun the whole time, uh, and that was because she was two v one most of the time. Care uh, uh, changed it in the second half to match England's shape to four-one-four-one, and that started to change the game and England couldn't suddenly press as high as they could do all of the time Scotland aren't as good uh, on the ball in defence as I think England are but I don't rate England that well on the ball in defence either and you saw that when Scotland pushed them slightly higher up they moved the press from about halfway to, to further close to the England goal you saw that they, straight, they, they struggled um, Bright was gone by then 
which doesn't doesn't help. But I think Houghton's passing sometimes can, she can make mistakes, and that's exactly what happened when Scotland scored, getting onto it to to get that goal back. And Scotland then kind of rode momentum. And I've read a lot that people think England sort of let their guard down, but I think it was just a, the the tactical setup really matched them both. And then Scotland were able to get into their game, suddenly get Cuthbert into the game, able to run into channels. Emsley was doing little tricks in the wing that were really coming off, and. Uh, there was not, not much that Neville could do to, to change it at that point. And if it weren't for the, the the penalty, then maybe it might have been closer than it was in the end. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that penalty. Obviously, the momentum swung in England's favour early on with the award of that. Was it right, Jen? Do you think it was the, the right decision was made with the help of our friend VAR? Um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit harsh. Um, it was very harsh. It was then, it was a bit harsh. But these are the new rules of the game. So yeah. we can sit here and, here and call it harsh and say it was tough. But when you look at the new handball rules came into effect on June the 1st, you can't dispute those and there's zero tolerance Just around them. Just talk us through those new rules, Kate. Oh, my goodness, really? Yeah, please do. <laughs> oh, no, please, God, no. It's uh, And please step in here. <laughs> I have them written down that that helps. Do you? I'm actually laws are here, yeah, because okay. Jackie Oatley tweeted it. Did she? Well, I know Jackie spent an intense amount of time <laughs> checking this, but my main takeaway was this. If your if your arm goes beyond a certain point and it comes into contact with the ball, it's a handball. It doesn't matter what the intent is. It doesn't matter what happens before or afterwards. If your arm, and, and this, is, this is a very, very rudimentary takeaway from it, if your arm goes to a certain point and if something hits it, it's a handball. Right. I mean, it's, I, I, that's the thing that sort of, it's the intent bit, isn't it? Like you can see, for example, you know, well, in the Champions why... League final, for example, like he obviously kicked the ball at his hand. Like you saw him stop and and see his hand and see his arm up and go for it. And I sort of think, what? It's the intent thing. And he's obviously done that to, to get a penalty for them. Why is that not a foul? It's a, yeah, it's, it's it difficult. is a zero tolerance thing, and that's and using VAR, that's what they're looking at. They basically just said, "How can we make this as black and white as possible?" Because how do you VAR a handball without making it black and white? You have to make the rules really, really simple. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, no sign of intent, uh, and hard to see how uh, Doherty would have avoided that. But zero tolerance, clearly a penalty. She could have avoided it. This is the the weird thing is that it's to help encourage uh, or to give the advantage to the attacking player. So Doherty could have avoided it by not um, being in a position where she has to then dive in with her with her arm out. It's very cause and effect and a bit weird. And you could obviously argue that you cannot defend that unless you're putting your arm out because if you're you're running, your arm's mm-hmm. naturally to come out. And I would have encouraged if I was care to get my players to get the ball wide and just start pinging it into the box because at some point someone's arm's going to go up. <laughs> and you might get something. I mean, that's the tactic that so you might get. So this could turn into a massive mockery, is what JJ's saying. Maybe, but then you have to use common sense a bit with it. The, the thing was like, so if you're in a position where you're having to dive in, you are your team has be, uh, been put into that position by the opposition anyway, so they have an advantage. So it stops you having to. It stops teams being able to just dive and heroically defend their way through an entire game because eventually it might then come off their arm. Yeah. There was examples like, um, I think there was the Australia game, the ball came off, um, I can't remember the defender's name, but it came off her arm, but her, her arm was just in, and it obviously came off her rather than her putting her arm up. But because Doherty's arm is up, because yes. she's sort of panicking, then it 
does clearly come off the hand. And, it, and the thing is, it seems harsh, and it is harsh, but it comes off her hand, and then that sort of blocks the cross. And so you go, oh, that sucks, but it is definitely a penalty. I think it was always... It was always I think it was uh, also worse because it wasn't picked up on, was it, by the referee initially? Yeah, and so the game carries it. on and then someone beeps into her earpiece, oh, hang on, stop play, you might have missed something there. And then they go back and look at it. So it feels even more painful for us because the game's moved on and yet we're having to go back to it. It's definitely going to take some getting used to, isn't it, VAR? It just, and it seems to be taking ages as well. And I, you know, it's kind of one thing being a TV viewer and watching your split screen and watching the officials look at all their zillion and one screens very intently um, but like being in it. the stadium oh, it just the drama <laughs> well I don't think there's enough drama then because if, you, because if you're in the stadium we need to see some sort of VAR theme tune we need to see some <laughs> form of entertainment <laughs> dun, dun, whilst dun, VAR dun, dun. goes on because let me tell you from speaking to people in the stadiums over in France it is a bit of an atmosphere sucker you're into it though, Jen. Oh uh, yeah, I like it. I think it's uh yeah, drama. High drama. Yeah. I like it. A bit of jeopardy, you know. <laughs> really adds something. It also gets everything it gets the decisions right according to the laws. Yeah. So it's the laws that are wrong rather than VAR. So focusing, oh well VAR has cost me that goal. Like, incorrect, my friend, it is the f- the player who has fouled someone or been offside that has cost you the goal. Yeah, completely agree with that, JJ. We are perhaps in danger of getting a little bit down on England. Uh, it, it seems like they did well to hang on for the win. They managed the game quite well in the second half. And it's always good to start a tournament with three points. We've seen from many, many teams uh, across all countries that not winning that first game can really suck the life out of a tournament. What did you think of the game management, Jen? Were you impressed with how England did just hold on for that win? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, like I, I don't care how we get the three points. I'm very happy to have them. It was their first match. You know, they could have been... You know, I think it was theirs. Sorry, JJ. Um, I think it was theirs to lose, really, and all of the pressure was on them. So I think, you know, a win's a win, and I will take that. Do you know what I really liked? Even when it was 2-1, Phil Neville um, could have thrown on an extra holding player, but instead brought on Georgia Stanway as well. So even at 2-1, I thought, fair play, Phil. He was going for it still, and that's quite refreshing from an England team, isn't yeah. it? Absolutely. What about Scotland, JJ? Signs that they can come through this group? They certainly look the better team for um, much of the second half. Absolutely. Like There's clear signs that they know what's going on. Um, I really liked, so as an example, it's really nice being able to trust that you know your manager that knows exactly what um, they're doing. So the changes that had to be made at half-time, Care did. She noticed that Doherty was struggling and took her off at the, exactly the right time. Then she put on Arthur for Howard later on, and that changed the game even further. Just helped get the momentum going. Just seems it, everything just seems organised and smart, and there are good players there. And I fully expect Scott. I mean, they weren't far off getting something out of this game. No, but they have to be really careful with being exposed for space and 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 There's a little a bit of pace. Of pace. Yeah. Yes, pace comes into that as well. And I think that they learned a really important lesson in that first half. The fact that Erin Cuthbert was alone for most of the first half, uh, and Kim Little, we really didn't see her too much. Yeah. But fair play, Shelley Kerr changed her tactics, changed it up. But actually, what a great point to learn that in the tournament. And this is a team making their debut, so of course there are going to be a few nerves there as they nerves there as they start to sort themselves up. But I thought <laughs> it was a really encouraging performance against England. One of the things I noticed the difference was between the two teams is that England did look a lot uh, I would say fitter and faster yes and that physically is, better yeah that, absolutely across the board I mean Cusper I think did a lot of work and I'm surprised she wasn't absolutely goosed by the end of it having to run the channels the entire time uh, like we said Little was on her, on her own but you can pull her back into midfield and maybe put her wide for the next games but um, that is a big difference and it, it's something that 
you need to be careful with going through the tournament. But Scotland can sit a bit deeper and hit on the break in the, in the next following games. Argentina next up for England. Where can they improve, Kate? What will we be expecting more of from Phil Neville's team in that one? Well, this is kind of a bit of a um, blip game when you talk about where can they improve because Argentina don't really present much opposition with all respect to them. They've got only nine of their squad playing full-time. They've never scored a point at the World Cup. So it's not a time, I don't think, for Phil Neville to look for improvements, but what he does need to do now is use the depth of his squad. He'll undoubtedly play quite a few different players as as he looks at his options, I guess, for later on in the tournament. Um, there are a couple of good players in that Argentina squad. Sole Hamer who's uh, part of the Leon side who won the Champions League and uh, Benini as well who's also played in Europe so look I mean South American football is still in such a such an amateur position to be honest when you compare it to European football um, but for Phil I think he perhaps he needs to make sure that that defence is solid it'll be interesting to see how Millie Bright is now um, but Argentina won't present much, much of a test so it's time for Phil to look at how he utilises his squad I think one thing about I think one thing that impressed me about them yesterday was how confident they looked. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's it's nice to see an England team playing with, with some confidence. So I thought that was really impressive and, you know, hope that they can keep that up. Yeah, definitely some signs that they feel like they're worth yeah. their billing as among the favourites for this tournament. 6.1 million viewers on the BBC for this game, making it the most watched women's football match ever in this country, but... More empty seats than you would expect in Nice. The stadium holds 35,000, but there's only 13,188 there. Are we worried about the organisation, Kate, and the promotion of this tournament? Or is England-Scotland just not that big a draw on the French Riviera? No, because the FA said it was sold out or nearly sold out. Which is just bizarre, and I had, um, you know, friends contacting me, people who um, I know from local football teams contacting contacting me and saying, "How do we get tickets? It looks like it's sold out." And I've been tracking it since a few months ago, and undoubtedly there were probably more tickets released. But this was not a sellout game. I mean, that's there's a huge, you know, so many empty seats there, which was disappointing. It really was. Um, look, I've spoken to journo's um, in Paris. And if you turn up in Paris at the beginning of the tournament, even though the national team were playing there on Friday night, uh, there were more posters for Roland Garros and for the men's uh, football game than there were for the Women's World Cup. Uh, A journalist friend of mine walked around and found two solitary posters next to the ticket machine in the Garden Or. Score one, not for FIFA. Um, And it was the same in in Nice as well. When I I spoke to a friend there, they were yet to establish fan zone areas um, or any activity beyond the tournament. Not only that, um, it was a complete shambles when it came to people getting to the stadium there in Nice. There was a shuttle bus that no one was told about. When they did get on it uh, and they got it back they were they were basically dumped in the middle of a car park um one person i know paid 80 euro to get an uber back because there was no other option it, just a complete organizational shambles and i'm really surprised at fifa after and this is meant to be the biggest world cup ever this is a travesty i'm sorry but you know this is what's happening in, in these massively billed early games they really need to sort it out quickly and the french are going to have to step into this too and if they can't do it from fifa then they need to do it on a local organizing committee level did the did the the sold out nonsense as though the FAs have said it's sold out is that because they sold their allocation didn't get any more and the French people weren't going to it possibly I'm yet to get to the bottom of it but there's there's obviously some communication issue there yeah. because it just I mean I mean look it could have been such a well attended game and there's a missed 
opportunity there for FIFA because how much money could they have raised from extra ticket sales? It's just ridiculous. Was it definitely sold out? Because I've been, I was thinking about going, um, so I've been sort of tracking it for a while. Tickets were like, you could get tickets for nine yeah, euros. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, that's that's the other issue. Well, the FA said at one point that, that it was a near sellout. So I don't know where the FA is getting that information from. Mm. I don't know where the communication levels are, or as JJ said, whether there was a huge amount of yeah. allocation for local fans and they just didn't turn up to it, which again, to me, I, I just can't believe. In fact, it was. <laughs> if you look at the Jamaica game, that was much better attended um, than that game. Um, yeah, bizarre. I'm not saying that FIFA would choose corporate uh, sponsors or money over <laughs> football or common sense or love. But uh, <laughs> is there a chance as well that a lot of tickets have been sectioned for for sponsors and things like that rather than actual fans going? I mean, it, it, it seems astonishing that it, that game is so empty it, on yeah, the stadium. It would have to be thousands of sponsors. I mean, there have to be thousands of sponsors <laughs> turning up for that. They do have a few. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, bonkers. And, and, and mm. also, if you were a sponsor, I'm sorry, you, you know, it's not just us who's talking about this game. You know, this was billed. When the draw was made, this was billed as one of the ties, one of the matchups. Of course it was. Not a great look, is it? But a happier Sunday in the screening you organised, Jen. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was good fun. So we, um, so a few weeks ago, basically, I was chatting on Twitter about how it's a shame that it's not socially acceptable for women to go to the pub on their own to watch football. And so me and a journo friend of mine, um, we decided we would put on a sort of viewing party and encourage women and men, uh, but women especially, to come along on their own or with their friends and like no one's going to try and explain the offside rule to you or, you know, pat your bum or anything like that. So it's all just, you know, <laughs> a lovely time um, with some like-minded people. Um, yeah, so it was fun. We watched the Brazil-Jamaica match, um, which was less well attended than the uh, the England-Scotland match, it's uh, fair to say. But yeah, it was, I actually, I enjoyed that game. I thought it was good. Where did you do it? Uh, we did it at a bar in Deptford called uh, Buster Mantis, uh, a Jamaican sort of family-owned business. So yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. And did you get a lot of people who'd never watched football before, no. or kind of were they mainly football? They fans? were mainly football okay. fans. Yeah. So it was yeah, we didn't really get. So this is the thing. This is one of the things about it. I have a sneaking suspicion. Um, I sound terribly negative, don't I? I'm certainly going to now. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion that people are less interested in this World Cup than we think they are. Yeah. Because I think we sort of live in our football bubble. Um, and I have found on Twitter recently, sort of talking about women's football, the amount of nonsense you get from people. On, I know, like Twitter, the amount of nonsense you get on Twitter, full stop. But I've been really shocked by it. Like genuinely, what sort of shocked. things are people saying? Well, like when you talk about, for example, the the England women's team don't get paid as much as the men's team, and they're like, "Where's like outrageous?" Blah blah blah. I think if you're talking about like at club level, then obviously there, you know, you have to be realistic about things like yeah, that. Of it's, it's not making anywhere near the amount of money that men's football is. But when you're talking about representing your country, there's absolutely no case for them not to be paid the same. And um and just the, the the vitriol of people when you you know, you make these bold claims. Like it's really it's honestly really shocked me. That's not would you agree that that is 
Twitter rather than real life because I completely share your feelings about how horrendous some of the people are on Twitter in relation to not particularly provocative statements. Um, I I did my World Cup kit rankings last week and there are comments (laughs) under that being like, oh, women's football, rubbish. It's like, well, why? Why have we taken (laughs) the time to make that that? that comment? Um, I would hope there's less hostility out there in the real world, but what you're saying, Jen, is there's almost more apathy than hostility, perhaps. I think so. I was, I went to watch the, uh, I went to watch one of the playoff, um, the semi-final for the League One playoffs, because I'm a Charlton fan. And, um, and I was, you know, managed to convince one of my friends to come and watch this with me, um, basically because he said it was too tragic for me to go and watch it by myself in the <laughs> pub. He wouldn't allow it. So thanks, Dave. Anyway, so I was chatting to him about the World Cup and he's like, there's a World Cup. Why didn't I? Why don't I know about this? I was like, I don't know, Dave. It's like, come it's, on, Dave. it's out there. <laughs> why, why don't you know about it? But I think a lot of people until quite recently genuinely didn't. And I don't think there is as much interest as we think there is. And I really, really feel strongly that I want to encourage people to be interested in it. Because I think people will be more interested, you know, if England sort of get through to the later stages of it. I think people will become more interested. But also, like, why aren't you going to what, you know, if it was a Men's World Cup, people would just be taking this as a great opportunity to spend more time in the pub. Yeah. Why aren't people showing more of the matches? Why aren't they're not all on uh, free to air TV either? Are they? They they're are all they on. Are. Yeah, they're yeah. on the BBC. Button, yeah, yeah, but so you can. That's what we did yesterday. You just I don't know how you watch on the TV and on the website as well. Website, yeah. So um, website, you can basically watch yeah. every single game in some way, shape, or form free through the BBC. To pick up on your point, Jen, I think it's. It's that divide, isn't it? It's when you get a Men's World Cup, you get football fans watching that Mm. and then you get the extended crowd belonging to the football fans. And when I say that, I mean the wives, the kids, extra friends who jump on for England games and they have a barbecue and there's a sense of celebration, etc. When you get women's football, you get football fans, I think, are interested in it. And and, um, a lot of football fans I know watch the game. But did all the ancillary people watch the game? Probably not. Did they know about the game? Maybe not. So it's encouraging, you know, families, extended friends to be able to watch games. But it doesn't help that the weather's a little bit rubbish. It was a really good kickoff time. So mm. that can't be blamed. And actually, compared to Canada four years ago, it, it did not kick off for England until after the group stage, until we got through that group and we started to achieve some really good results. It didn't. It, it, no one was really excited about it. And I think people love it when England are winning. Um, and when you get through the group stage and when England do get through the group stage, hopefully, I'm sure they will, I think that you'll start to see it pick up definitely. Yeah, let's hope that's all in the future for us. Let's talk now about the World Cup in general so far. France demolished South Korea on the opening night. I thought they looked uh, a level above anyone we've seen so far in this tournament. How impressed were you with them, Kate? I mean, so impressed because the French team are infamous. If if I'm to fill you in on on, on, a, on, a, on a bit of background, um, they are they have, have exceptional players, but they don't always necessarily click together. There's a lot of Lyon players. In fact, the French head coach Corinne Diac select, selected all of her Lyon players. Seven of them appeared in that starting eleven, so she just went gung ho with them. But 45,000 in the stadium to watch them, and it could have been a bit intimidating. It could have been perhaps too much pressure. It could have been that some of those perhaps more precious players, you know, started to get a, a little bit spooked by it all. But there, there was. 
no sign of that at all. They were insane. Absolutely brilliant. Henri uh, nearly getting a goal and then uh, setting up one from Le Sommer um, early on. A couple of goals from Wendy Renard as well, the defender from set pieces. And then Henri with a fantastic goal um, to to finish it off 4-0. I think what impressed me most um, was the physicality, strength, style. Um, and South Korea, Tom, are not a bad team. Horribly vulnerable from set pieces, though, weren't they? You'd be livid if you were their manager. I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to change the entire defence. That's how bad they were. I don't think they have the option to do that. But coming into this, what's the squad for? Come on, <laughs> wholesale changes. Depends. Depends where your where your strengths are. But 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 I think France shocked them. They genuinely shocked them. And you can tell when you look at those players and their athleticism. You know, they are fitter, they are stronger, they're more physical and more skilled than many other teams here. And the best of all. All of those areas was on display on Friday night. It really was. Italy with a brilliant result against their favourites in their group. Australia, do you expect Australia to come back from this? What's interesting about Australia is this was the first surprise result of the tournament, wasn't it? Um, Italy winning 2-1. Sam Kerr getting a goal for Australia, but that was a penalty that she missed and then she followed up on. Um, Look, the Australian media, if I speak to some of my friends in the media, the Australian media have gone for the team in big style. I mean, the Australians do not like losing, right? Oh my goodness, if we were worried about misogyny, don't worry about it here because they were they were utterly hammering into their female team, saying that Sam Kerr wasn't right, the you know world class player for them, um, that they were defensively poor, and their 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 two centre backs I think are really old from memory, um, so that doesn't surprise me there. But also conceding from a set piece because they've really been working on those set pieces in training Australia, so to fall foul um, to that was disappointing. Um, look, that Australia team absolutely need to button up and perform. Um, when they play next because at the moment their country oh my goodness they are definitely not behind their team it's, it's, it, it has really kicked off over there about this result believe me Brazil dominated Jamaica Christiane became the oldest hat-trick scorer at a World Cup a hat-trick always impressive at a major tournament JJ but even more so when you're 34 years old I'm almost 34 I think I could <laughs> score a hat-trick in very low standard football so how dare you <laughs> uh, Brazil could have won this about five or six yeah. like, I don't think they even really had to try very hard in this game um, I saw Jamaica play against Scotland and thought they were quite decent but they mostly preyed on mistakes that Scotland were making um, I thought Brazil were very very good they were without uh, my favourite Marta she wasn't playing so hope she's I back. I told you, JJ. <laughs> yeah, Kate she's it. injured though, I can't help that. <laughs> but they didn't need her, did they, no. really? Oh, they were, Cristiano yeah. was, was, was absolutely, you know, massively strong for them, I have to say. I did feel sorry for Jamaica and also Khadija Shaw as well, who's someone I've been really interested in watching. Yeah. She didn't really get a look in, but it was great, great to see her. You know, she is massively powerful. She's going to be exciting to watch. Um, but the strength of Brazil's defeat really surprised me for this one. And I and, and I had expected Jamaica to come up with a little bit more, I have to say. I very boldly uh, stated prior to the match that I thought that they would uh, not beat Jamaica. I was expecting a draw. I was expecting a lot of draws yesterday. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, it didn't happen. But their keeper, Jamaica's keeper, oh, my goodness, she was amazing. She's 19, apparently. Yeah, she is. And she plays um, she plays college football, if my memory serves me right. Um, and she's 19. This is obviously her first World Cup. So such composure from her, absolutely brilliant. And it's going to be really interesting for her because, of course, she's going to be up for grabs after um, after a few years at college. So, yeah, exciting times for her. 
Finally, Germany weren't massively convincing with their 1-0 win against China in Group B. But will it get easier for them, Kate, with Spain and then South Africa next up? Yeah, I don't think we need to worry about Germany too much. They certainly weren't as good as I was expecting them to be. Marajan was incredibly quiet in that game. Um, Their manager set them a target of reaching the finals right before the game. And you know when you think, okay, is there some motivation issue there that the manager has to come out publicly and say, I have set my target and it's this like a day or so before the game. So I was a little bit suspicious about that going in. Um, Not as impressive. But I mean, again, you know, Germany have this habit of grinding out a win, whatever happens. Um, Their back four were all debutants at a World Cup. And that's really interesting from a German side, isn't it? To have a completely, well, they're not an untested back four. But when you're talking about untested people, their manager, Martina Vosteklenberg, her first ever competitive game in charge of the team. She clearly put a rocket up them at half-time because I think China could have scored a few in the first half. I thought China were okay. Yeah. Like, they were much better than um, having no experience of watching them than I expected yes. them to be, which is a weird I, thing to I say. I totally agree. And, and they will rue the missed chances. Yeah, in, in, there are in, so in many. Yeah, half, absolutely. You know? um, I really enjoyed watching South Africa-Spain. Um, and it was very, very close. It took Spain a long time to break them down. But South Africa have um, their, their wingers on the left side uh, are so, so fast. And all they had to do was sit back. They defended really well. A yeah. whole game long, they defended really well. And just ping it to the left. Uh, first touch, killed it, the ball dead, and then just sprinted. And uh, Spain looked in trouble. But then uh, old friend VAR came into, uh, into effect. <laughs> ruined another game. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing's been ruined. It's been a really fun opening weekend, hasn't it? Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. The games have been great so far. Um, really fast, like a lot of uh, a lot of energy in the games. A lot of like there's so many little bits of skill that you see in the games that I really enjoy. Yeah, and I and I think if we're to, if we're to compare it back four years ago, the standards have increased so much, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know, in all honesty, I watched some of the opening games last year, and there were some defensive howlers and some goalkeeper howlers. But what's really nice is to see the level of the game um, getting so much better in a relatively short space of time, and the fact that we're sat here talking about it openly. Mm. You know, a couple of guys, and you know, able to honestly say, "Yeah, I really enjoyed those games." I yeah. think there's a yeah, there's there's so much energy. In, in the games that I've seen, there's been so much. There have been some great goals, like really, really great goals. And I think, yeah, the standard has really, really picked up. And I was watching yesterday just thinking, like, I just, I do not understand people who say, you know, they don't want to watch women's football because the quality isn't there. Because it, you know. Yeah, it is It is absolutely bonkers. I, I heard this guy phoning into a phone-in show last night on the radio just saying, why are the BBC wasting all this money? It's a complete waste. Why are they putting all this money in? It's ridiculous. I wouldn't go and watch it. And you know, you just thought, like, I bet you've watched about five minutes of it. And you probably watched a Howlers tape on YouTube because because there is probably a Howlers video because you can you can make a Howlers video out of any football game for God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, I think there is entrenched still a lot to get past. But I really mm. hope that this World Cup changes a lot of people's minds. I'm sure that bloke will be ringing back by the end of the tournament going, "This is brilliant. Oh, I love women's football." <laughs> Change my mind. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's reluctantly turn our attention to men's football and the Nations League. It was briefly so good for England against Holland, Jen, and then it felt very familiar indeed in that semi-final. 
Should we be alarmed about England? Are we back to the bad old days already, do you oh, think? Um, full disclosure, I have paid very little attention to the Nations League. Unbelievable. I, I you snubbed the I Nations know. League, the best league ever. You the best invention. I just can't get excited about it. <laughs> Sorry. It's a bit soon to be, oh, England are rubbish again. And also, you know, were we actually, dare I say, were we actually that good in the last World Cup exactly. anyway? If we're honest about it, you know, we, but yeah, I think, you know, let's not write off um, big Gareth Southgate just yet. Little Gareth, it's, it's, it's yeah. Don't care. It's big I know. Gareth in my, in my. It's, okay, big <laughs> G. In a, what about, I'm interested in your take on this, JJ, because I know you've been um, tweeting about it, but Stones, then Barkley with big mistakes deep in their own half in possession. Is it ever acceptable to just be screaming, please just get rid of the football at certain <laughs> moments, whatever the philosophy is. Surely sometimes you want to just launch it and not worry about over-elaborating it with players who patently can't do it very well. Well, um, absolutely. So I think you should always play out from the back because it's the way to do it and that's what every other country in the world who's any good at football does. Now, the, the problem you've got is John Stones is good at doing this thing, but it's not... So although he was caught on the ball for that goal, you could also argue that it's his teammates' fault for not being in the correct positions for him to release the pass straight away. When he receives it, he's already scanned. He sees who's there. When he looks up, he should have two options, one to his left, one to his right, but he doesn't because they're not in the right positions to receive the ball. He go back to Jordan Pickford, but by then he's already been stolen from the... The ball's been stolen from him. So that's a big problem. You have a lot of players... Like Alvaro Morata's been saying stuff in the press recently about how the difference between playing in Spain and England is that in training in Spain, you can ping a ball as hard as he wants and he knows the player will control it, um, implying that players like Ross Barkley, it seems to be, doesn't have quite that same skill set. And uh, what you have with England... Gareth Southgate is right trying to develop this kind of football. This is what England should be doing. They have players who should be able to do it. But when you put players in high-pressure situations, they revert to what they know best. So I, I akined it to on Twitter. I don't know that, that's a word, akin, but I'm doing it. So <laughs> it's a little like when I, uh, uh, in standard grade, which is, I don't know what you call it in England, but uh, do you have exams? Like your school, just school. When you're 15, school, your exams. Yeah, GCSEs. Whatever. That one, yeah. yeah. No. So cramming like two years worth of physics into about, I don't know, three days or something like that. So I passed the test, so I know how to do it. But when I actually have to come down, if someone like held a gun to my head and said, what does this wave four mean? I don't don't know, because you aren't exactly confident in what you're doing. And if everyone on the team is not in exactly the same uh, mindset, knows exactly where they need to be, because they're not natural to it. And you see England, they often, one player gets the ball and then the rest is stand still. And you can't play like that. Holland, always moving, always in the space, mm. always dropping in and out. Because once you pass, you're not finished with that move yet. You're only one part of you have to move to the next part of the pitch. And uh, that was different. Frankie de Jong showed them what a midfield is. And England don't have a midfield still. No, they, their midfield is rigid. Very, very rigid. Yeah. And they missed that that playmaker. I thought Trent Alexander-Arnold was super. And he I mean, was their he, playmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He was their playmaker at right back. Because he had to be, but we're missing that so badly, aren't we? That yeah. that you know, player who can go backwards or forwards, create chances, pass it on, move it through. You know, we need a Michael Carrick, or we not. We we basically need to start looking at some young options. Whether it's someone like James Madison, Phil Foden, or Phil, yeah, yeah. Actually, different kind of players. Like, like I think, like the Carrick, you've got Harry Winks, who could do it. And yes. that could be the kind of thing going forward. And Harry forward. Winks was injured going into yeah, this, right? Yeah. So, uh, so he wasn't an option. So, so potentially, yeah. But you just, but you look at that midfield, and that's the main problem for me. I don't think John Stones is an awful player. I think he's great 
on the ball. He just doesn't flick the switch enough. He doesn't get. <laughs> he makes mistakes. Yes. Yeah, he gets caught. Yes, yeah, he does. But, but you know, but but for me, the 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 bigger concern is that lack of a playmaker and fluidity yeah. in midfield. Because you're right, the Dutch showed us exactly how it should be done. But if you look at the way Southgate's putting this together, so I mean. What he's trying to do is it developed and it's changed the entire way England played forever because they've been moaning that always be playing like these other European teams. But actually, England are always best in transition. But to play in transition, you need to sit a bit deeper. Think of like Jose Mourinho's teams and then hit people on the counter and utilise things you're good at, like pace and having someone like Harry Kane up front who can finish a move. But doing that isn't very progressive. Like Holland sit um, and pass the ball around and pass a move because that's what they're very good at. England have always been good at launching it and chasing and using physicality which you get broken down against against teams who are better with the ball. So is Southgate right to then try and alter this, uh, the, like the course of England's future and how they play, hoping that, I mean, it takes generations to do this. Yeah. Or is it better for him to then do what he did in the World Cup, hit teams on transition, win uh, games from set pieces? Like It's really difficult because you find it, like, even Scotland were playing on the weekend and thought we're going, oh, we're playing Cyprus. It's only Cyprus. We'd be beating Cyprus. But Scotland aren't very good at football. And so we, sh- <laughs> we should be sitting back and then waiting to hit people on the break and accepting that even Cyprus like, is going to cause you problems. Mm. Like, it took England, uh, it took Portugal until after half time to put a goal past Switzerland. It took, um, sorry, not Switzerland, uh, against the Netherlands. It took England until way into the second half where they really started causing problems to Switzerland. Because other teams are just as good as them. It's just that they're not as famous in the media. <laughs> so you think they're better than they actually are? You see it on video games a lot, as England are always highly rated, far beyond what they actually are. When you compare some of the players you've got at different other countries, they don't have the same level of attention. And I think that's a relevant thing somehow. Obviously ne- not an England fan. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, a win on penalties, Jen. The curse is broken. Even the keeper's scoring penalties for England now. Yeah. Well, that was very interesting, wasn't it? It's, it's, that's good to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's obviously something uh, Gareth's been focusing on. Uh, <laughs> Along with, uh, yeah. Along with his tailoring. Waistcoats. Yeah. Mm. It's nice to see Phil. Um, in an in identical waistcoat. Yeah. Is it, is it nice or is it a little bit cringe? It's really cringy, yeah. 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 I love that. Uh, I saw someone tweeted the, um, the Simpsons, uh, moments in The Simpsons, and it was the bit where uh, Homer wears a tie to impress Laddie. Do you think you'll notice? <laughs> <laughs> Finally, after England men were on the wrong end of a couple of VAR decisions, but the women were awarded a penalty via the same method. What is a moment when luck has evened itself out for your team, Jen Offord? Um, so, as as previously discussed, Charlton Athletic fan, uh, we obviously won the playoff final the other week. Uh, hugely dramatic. Um, honestly, the most stressful 90 minutes of my life. Um Obviously, we con- well, we didn't concede. We scored an own goal in the first five minutes, and it was legitimately the the worst thing I've seen with my eyes. Um, <laughs> it was it was horrific. We were at Wembley. We were watching it happen literally in slow motion, uh, and you're like, "He's going to get that. He's going to get that. He's going to get that." He ha- he hasn't got it. <laughs> oh, oh, he's just scored an own goal in the most horrific fashion. So. That was bad luck, um, and then yeah, in the in the I think the final ten seconds of added time, we uh, yeah just got a cheeky little rebound in there, and we, we won, and we're promoted. So at the same end as well, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, remarkable. It was just wonderful. <laughs> what about you, JJ? Luck evening itself out for Aberdeen, Scotland, or Manchester City? You got it right first time. Uh, it took about. 
uh, 17 years to even itself out. But um, you may recall that Aberdeen beat Real Madrid in the Cup Winners' Cup final of 1983. Of course. Yes. And uh, what happened in that, that game early on before the rules were changed is that Jim Layton came howling off of his line, took down the striker, uh, gave away a penalty, should have been sent off, um, and would have been in the modern game. But uh, he was not. And that luck was repaid in the Scottish Cup final in 2000 when he was um, stretched off injured because he got kicked in the head and we lost 4-0. But we beat Real Madrid in the Cup Winners' Cup final. <laughs> and that's all that matters. You would have taken that beforehand. What have you got, Kate? Well, I think about... Well, you know, Liverpool have had their fair share of luck. Um, and I always remember when... Uh, and I'll always remember the Champions League final in 2005 where we were called lucky for winning that. I mean, we do, you know, we we totally deserve that. It was an amazing game. But a lot of people said you were totally lucky because of the injuries to the other side. But I think we had the last laugh when we managed to get to the final uh, two seasons later to say, look, we do genuinely have a, have a pedigree. And that, and, and that surprised me too, I have to say, but we do genuinely have a pedigree there worthy of winning it. So I think with, with Liverpool, you know, you sort of give one and you take one away. We didn't win the league this season and that was a travesty for me. It was absolutely gutting, but we got the Champions League final uh, trophy, but we got the Champions League trophy again. So yeah, I, I think with Liverpool... You have to ride those good times and those bad times. You heard it here first, Aberdeen and Charlton fans. Liverpool, not a bad team to support. <laughs> That's your lot for this week. I won't be here with you next Monday. Anna Kessel will be sitting in my chair for me. But nevertheless, contact me on Twitter. Why not? There's no holiday from Twitter. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget you can send the podcast an email. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Subscribe to Audio Football Club. Why not? Make your summer go with a bang with audio football stuff from the Telegraph in your ears via your mobile device. Look for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.